Well, I'll be the Marijuana Solution. Hi, you're listening to the Marijuana Solution, and this is Robert Roundtree. This week we speak with Gary Stein, author of The Great Green Hope, one of the Supreme Canna Warriors in Florida, patient advocate, activist, policymaker. He wears many hats, and no one is working harder for the patients in the state of Florida than Gary. Um, I decided to let our little pre-audio roll uh, before I did my formal intro, so enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Just search The Marijuana Solution, click subscribe. So, I've got my joint pretty much rolled up here, my constitutionally legal yet legislatively illegal flower. I heard your medical canister uh, opening and closing, either that or your grinder. Yeah, no, that is definitely my medical um, canister, my medical preparation device. Like, What would we call that? What is the proper terminology for an herb grinder in medical terms? A herb grinder. Oh, sweet. Okay, man. Yeah, that's... That's pretty over the top. You know, one day we'll be buying these in dispensaries. Absolutely. And not on the street corner, or not a head shop only, or... I'll be happy when I can go in and buy an an ounce of pot. It it is being done elsewhere. Yeah, it is. And I had a lot of fun when I was out there and elsewhere earlier this year during the summer. Hi, this is Robert Roundtree, and you're listening to The Marijuana Solution... And today we have a very special guest, uh, Gary Stein. He is an author, one of the top advocates in the state, and an activist. He pushes for patient rights and transparency. Transparency. How are you doing today, Gary? Fantastic. That's all stoked and ready to change the system because it needs a lot of changing. It sure does. And you put in more hours than anybody, and I put in a lot. Um, could you... Give our listeners basically an overview of uh, who you are, what you do for the movement, and um... well, I call myself a an author, an advocate, an activist, and basically, I've been doing this since the uh, the advent of medical cannabis here in the state of Florida. I write for the Huffington Post, and I just decided to write uh, some articles on what was happening with medical cannabis here in Florida, and got caught up in the process itself, and have been working advocating to make it happen. From the very beginning, I was there to help start writing the rules for the original Charlotte's Web bill and tried my best to not let it go with with vertical integration like it is right now. But you, know, you, you can you win some battles and you lose some. The fact is we did get it started, and that was so important in Florida because before that, it didn't like it was ever going to get off the ground. But we're moving forward. Uh, I am trying to do my best to craft the red legislation and get people involved because the more voices they hear in Tallahassee and in all the municipalities, the better chance we have of getting these, these rules and regulations done right. It's a shame that we have to have rules and regulations, but that is just the fact of the way things are in Florida. That's right. That's just the way business is done, um, and we can't change that overnight. C- could you maybe elaborate a little bit on how important it is to get involved and some ways you can do it uh, locally? Absolutely. Right now, one of the situations we have are dealing with is the fact that the legislature, in their ultimate wisdom last year, told all the municipalities that they had the chance to either zone uh, for dispensaries in their area uh, to allow them to put them out exactly as pharmacies or put in a ban. Now, the ban makes no sense. In fact, it's, a, it's actually not even constitutional because it prevents access. And, and therefore, these municipalities can actually possibly get sued. But these municipalities don't like the idea of Tallahassee telling them how to run their towns, telling them where they can and cannot put businesses, where they can and cannot zone organizations. So they're pushing back on on that thing alone. And in actuality, zoning uh, dispensaries, just like pharmacies, is actually a no-brainer because a dispensary essentially is a pharmacy. We are dispensing medicine. The only difference is that we're not putting out opioids and we're – putting out things on the shelf that you can make meth with and things of that sort. We're just putting out the straight cannabis medicine that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. But right now, these towns, these counties, 
are, are just talking about putting in bans rather than putting out zoning. And what what you need to do in your local town is talk to your, your city councilmen, your county commissioners, especially when they're having meetings, especially when they're getting ready to do bans, and explain to them why this is important to you, why medical cannabis is something that is vital to you, and why dispensaries are vital to a community. They, they think that uh, dispensaries basically are a center for crime, which is exactly the opposite of what they are. There's more crime around liquor stores and treatment centers and drug stores than there are dispensaries. Dispensaries are actually places where people go to get their medicine with a, with a recommendation from their doctors. So they, that's the only reason they, they would be in there, and that's all they can do. And people, when they go to dispensaries, they'll put their medication, lock it up in their car, and they'll do some walking around town and possibly even frequent the other retail establishments in the area. So that actually generates traffic for these towns that have dispensaries, especially, especially if people have to drive 5, 10, 15 miles to get to a dispensary. So you, you brought up um, the local municipalities and how they want to ban them, you know, because they're kind of forced into a corner. And right. I learned why they, they don't like that. It's because they've had their home rule taken away from them. Um, and that was a big concern that we learned from the Orange County commissioners, which ultimately voted seven to nil to unanimously allow dispensaries, despite going in there, their review board had recommended a ban. So that was a big sign of what we can do. I think there's like 25 or 30 people that spoke in favor. They they pretty much had no choice or, you know, have eggs all over their face. Well, I've heard them. Uh, I listened to a dozen people, two dozen people, and still decide against it. It's. I think that the salient, important stories that people put out that really do, do um, get their attention, get their emotions, and get them to understand that how important it is to have dispensaries in their town or in their county. We flipped Orange County. They were going to go with a ban, and after they listened to the stories of the people who came there. They decided against that, and they went with zoning. And the same thing happened to Jacksonville Beach. Uh, about a week or so later, we went there. They were getting ready to vote on a ban. And by the end of the day, they had dropped the ban. They had dropped their moratorium, and they told their their, uh, uh, their city uh, attorney to go ahead and, and draft up a zoning ordinance. So we did that, and we are going to do it again uh, in another couple cities just in the next week or so. Uh, Temple Terrace on the 19th over in the Bay Area is considering a ban. They're going on for the second reading. And we are going to be going up there. If you are in the Temple Terrace area, if you live in Temple Terrace, if you are a patient in Temple Terrace, you need to be at Temple Terrace uh, at their city council meeting on the 19th. I believe it is at uh, 7 o'clock at night. And uh, be part of the, uh, the process, be part of the solution. And also uh, the city of Apopka over in Orange County. They actually enacted a ban back on September the 6th. And one one particular county commissioner, after he saw that Orange County had flipped, decided to ask them to revisit it. So we are, we have a chance here to actually remove the ban and put a zoning thing in place. And that's at 7 o'clock at Apopka City Hall on the, uh, on the 20th. Yeah, Apopka's my uh, hometown, Seminole County. You um, you mentioned how we flipped Orange County, and you know one of the keys to doing that was staying on message, uh, yeah. specifically talking about how the dispensary bans would affect us. Could could you maybe give our listeners a little um, overview of how to stay on message when you go to these and why that's so important? Okay, yeah. The whole point is is you are there to explain to them why a dispensary needs to be in their area, why it's so important that you shouldn't just have to pay for dis- for delivery, why it's it's a hardship for you to pay for delivery, or why it's a hardship for you to have to travel any place to, to get your medicine where you can get it close to where you live, and why it's so important to have dispensaries in an area that is safe for you to travel. If you are, have, have a problem with, with the transportation, it should be next to the bus lines. It should be with, within all the rest of the retail areas. It shouldn't be put out in the industrial areas or the adult entertainment zones, because if you uh, show them just who a patient is, that they're not just stoners coming out to smoke weed in the corner, but actually people 
who have genuine uh, disabling conditions who desperately need medicine, then you can you can come across and tell, explain to them why. They're not interested in a lot of the other effluvia in regards to uh, the, the state legislations and things of that sort. They want to know why should we have dispensaries in our area. And by explaining to them, you know, I live in an area where I need to get to medicine and it's important for me to get there at a safe place or I need to get this medicine and I can't travel that far and it, it's a hardship for me to pay an additional $25 or $50 or $100 for delivery. Please don't do this to me. Zone these dispensaries in my town where I live. That, that That's the kind of message they're, they're waiting to hear. Yeah, and some of the things that I brought up um, were counter to a lot of the myths that um, are perpetuated through propaganda in society. And that is when dispensaries come into town, crime generally goes down. Teenage drug use goes down. DUIs go down. Jobs go up. Um, tax revenue goes up. Burden on law enforcement goes down. Um, and one of the big reasons why they need to have dispensaries everywhere is how they affect the opiates. And in Florida, you know, I pointed out at Orange County that to date, year over year, we're at 150 percent opioid overdoses in this in Orange County. That's correct. Um, I'm pretty sure we're going to break another record this year. We we hit a record last year. Um, it's not something. I don't know. Not something that you want to be breaking records for. And this is in spite of all the advances with medical marijuana around the country. The opioid epidemic is out of control. And that's a big thing that they listen to because it's something that the state's been trying to fight for a while. They're um, looking for, for solutions for the opioid epidemic. And at first they were talking about, well, we need to do more arrests of people who, are, who have opioids, who get opioids illegally. But that is only doing things at the back end. It's not, it's not stopping these problems before they start. We need to start educating more doctors to use less opioids in pain medicine, pain management, and get people off of opioids as quickly as possible. And one of the ways to get people off of opioids, and this has been around since the 1880s in scientific papers, is the use of medical cannabis. Back in those days, that w- it was the standard for getting people off of what they called opium poisoning or opium withdrawal was to get, get them access to medical cannabis, which is a product which is not addicting and would allow them to get through their withdrawal symptoms and allow them to get back on track. The whole point of getting yourself off of opioids is to get rid of the addictive feeling, the addictive attitude. And it's just it's not a matter of just getting more Narcom out there so you can stop people from dying when they're having an a, uh, overdose because if you don't get them completely off the medication, as soon as they're back on their feet again, they're going to start taking the opioids again. You have to give them an alternative that will help them back down. And, yeah. and cannabis is a solution. Cannabis is definitely a solution. And it's funny you mentioned Narcan because a lot of these um, law enforcement and counties, they start to carry it and they herald this as like a great thing for the opioid crisis. I would love to see law enforcement get out in front of it and start suggesting and recommending that people use medical cannabis that day is going to come with, with the efforts that we have going on and with the help of people listening that are pushing this forward. Education is key. Um, education is always the key. And we, and we have to educate our, our legislators. That's the whole point. They just, I wouldn't call them ignorant. I would just call them uninformed or misinformed because there's been a, a campaign of misinformation that's been going on since the 1930s. Yeah, and let's face it, the legislatures, you know, they have tons of topics that they get hammered with lobbyists and advocates and corporations from. So this isn't the only topic that they have. So their time frame is very limited, especially if you set up a meeting with them. You know, you get like, what, five minutes at a time to try and change their mind. <clears throat> so that's Not even that sometimes. Sometimes you get two minutes. That's why staying on message is extremely important. Um, speaking of the legislature, we have a lot of interesting bills, uh, lawsuits, and other things going through. Uh, the first one I would like to bring up is the bill you and I were discussing a little earlier, and that's from Senator Montford, that would allow minors, um, and this would specifically 
deal with, you know, mostly really sick children, uh, special needs kids to Medicaid at school. Can you explain that? Absolutely. Again, there's a a lot of misinformation going around. Uh, A lot of lawmakers actually do believe that if uh, kids are allowed to medicate at school, they're going to be lining up a joint in the hallway. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's just Representative Fine, God uh, bless his soul. Uh, actually asked me, do I think it was it was right for a patient to be smoking uh, at marijuana in school, as he said. And I said, no, why would he? He said, well, you're talking about pe- people being allowed to use medical cannabis while going to school. And I explained to them, well, first off, we have an Indoor Clean Air Act here in Florida, which doesn't allow you to smoke anything inside of a public building, especially a school. So that's one thing. But the other thing is that you have to understand that kids who are going to school are actually going to school because the medication they're taking is allowing them to not be in bed at home and sick, but actually uh, dealing with their Crohn's disease or their epilepsy or whatever they may have that is currently keeping them sick. And, and basically you're talking about sublingual tinctures or oil caplets or things of that sort. And all you have to do is have some kind of framework in place that would allow a school nurse to be able to distribute the medication to the patient uh, in the uh, in indiscreet ways at the, uh, at the at the school level, and that is what the the bill is. It, it mirrors a bill that was done in Colorado called Jack's Law. Jack was a kid who desperately wanted to go to school. He had a severe epileptic situation, and this allowed him to get his medicine while he was going to school. And that's what it's all about: making certain the kids have access to the medicine, have a greater quality of life, and get a chance to go to school. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads make genuine business connections and get premier brand exposure, this is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, channel. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches, allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. Did you say to that politician, um, didn't you vote on the SB8A or the House companion bill that bans smoking of cannabis, period? It's not even an option right now. It's, well, that SBA hadn't, hadn't come to the point yet. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he already knew that uh, the bill itself, as it would stand, was going to ban smoking. It just wasn't official yet. But he wanted to get from me, you know, did I want to push the idea of kids being able to smoke uh, cannabis in school? And I had to explain to him that that's not, wasn't the way we were even talking about. He just was on the wrong track entirely. Wow. Um, so speaking about smoking and not in schools, uh, Gary Farmer introduced a bill that would remove the smoking ban. That's correct. And, and uh, it's got a lot of great things in it. And uh, hopefully it'll, it'll get heard. Uh, right now, there's a lot of pushback in the Senate and the House about doing anything in regards to the medical cannabis bills for this year. But it has been uh, set up for three committees. Uh, the first one should be coming up right after session starts. And hopefully we'll, we'll get it to go through. It doesn't have a house companion yet, but we're working on that. We're, myself and several people are going around the uh, the Capitol building and getting a house member to pick up a house version of that bill. Because you need a house and a Senate version for it to go forward. And uh, this is something that uh, we have a problem in the federal level as well. 
we have a lot of bills that have gone. In fact, I did a, a study. Since 1970, there was 124 bills in, in the federal co- Congress over in D.C. that have been written for, for medical cannabis to, be, to get it off the uh, controlled substance list as Schedule One, And not one of them has gone past the first committee, and only two have actually had hearings since 1970. Uh, that could possibly happen here in, in Tallahassee this year with these very good bills where they don't even get to be heard in committee if we don't push hard with the legislators to go ahead and say, this needs to be heard, this conversation needs to be had. This is so important to your constituents because 71.3% of the population voted to have medical cannabis and they should not be restricting it. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, and <clears throat> so right now everyone should be calling and emailing their representatives to get this done, right? Absolutely. It's not too hard just to find out who your representative is in your area, contact their district office, and if they're not in their district office, you can get transferred directly to their Tallahassee office if it's during session and tell them it's so important that they support Senator Farmer's bill and Senator Montford's bill. And also Senator Roussan's bill out there, he has a bill right right now that's going to get rid of the restriction of the Black Farmers Association that is blocking all the... uh, the, um, the MMTCs or medical marijuana treatment centers from getting uh, ap- applications to go ahead and, and generate more businesses. Uh, right now, that there was a, a lawsuit that was blocking uh, that one slot be, to be given to a minority business to, be, to go forward. And uh, by getting rid of that block of the fact that they have to belong to the Black Farmers Association, would open it up and make certain we start getting more and more dispensaries out there. Because the more dispensaries out there, the more of a free market we have. And a free market means better quality and better quantity and lower prices. And so we're pushing hard to make this happen as well. And that Black Farmers Association case, it just got assigned a judge in Tallahassee, right? It's been assigned for a while. Has it? Okay. uh, But they've been kind of slow in getting it adjudicated. Uh, in Christian Bax's uh, last testimony this last week, he's the gentleman who was in charge of the Office of Medical Marijuana Use. He claims that he uh, sent a communication to Smith to uh, send out, get the first deposition, but didn't get a response. I, I find that kind of hard to believe, considering the fact that Smith is the plaintiff and he's the one pushing for this. Why would he not respond to a request for deposition? <laughs> I think it's just an excuse that he's giving. But, Full of uh, them. That said, on the other on the other hand, the uh, another lawsuit that's going on right now, Joe Redner from uh, Hillsborough area, uh, he has a lawsuit that automatically says that we have a right to home grow. Uh, and specifically, he's talking about juicing the entire plant for people with HIV and that kind of situation. He believes that you know if you if you can, and I believe, and trust me when I say this, not everybody can grow cannabis well you have to be able to know how to do it properly so you can do it safely because it's medicine but you should have the right to home grow as as being allowed to have access to the medicine so they had several depositions this last week uh, from dr barry gordon over at the at the venice clinic also uh, dustin dr dustin sulak uh, from maine who's a major advocate in regards to this and uh redner himself is going to be deposed over in tallahassee next week so it's moving forward that's excellent. Um, how do you spell the doctor from out of state, his last name? Sulak, S-U-L-A-K. S-U-L-A-K. Cool, I'm going to reach out to him. Um, he actually helped a patient who was arrested for, for growing her own medicine uh, in Stewart County last year. Or Martin County, I'm sorry. One of them by the name of uh, Bridget Kerouac. She had actually moved here from Maine. And Dustin was her uh, her doctor over there, and she moved here because she wanted warmer weather. She has a severe uh, fibromyalgia, and she wanted to be able to uh, take her medicine over here in Florida, move down to Florida, and that was before uh, 2014 when the First Amendment two failed. So, but she had her little plants, and uh, so she started growing her own. And they actually had police had followed her home from a hydroponics store. And uh, and saw the stuff in her garage, and so they they arrested her. And uh, about one year after the arrest, they finally went to trial, and Dustin Sulak testified on her behalf of how important it was for her to have this plant. 
and have access to it. And so she was given a medical necessity defense, and she was uh, let go. So she won that case. Wow. So, well, and when was that, and who argued it? Uh, that was last year. I was the, Michael Minardi was uh, the, his uh, was her, her attorney, and and Dustin Sulak was the expert witness who came in from Maine to go ahead and testify. So he's very good at this. Yeah, Michael Minardi sure seems to be really good at the medical necessity defense also. Yeah, medical necessity defense. A lot of people touted it as saying, you know, that's the reason why I can go ahead and, and grow my own and just take it and not worry about things. But people have to realize that it is a defense and not an offense. In order to be able to use the medical necessity defense, you have to have been arrested first. And going, being arrested has a whole rigmarole involved with it that's going to cost you a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of grief and going to jail and things of that sort. So I don't recommend you holding on to medical necessity as a reason to go ahead and break the law. Yeah, no, not not a good plan. No, not at all. It's still a defense, and you're going to do time in the can, have people kick your door down, flash grenades go off, and all kinds of fun stuff. It could be that bad. It, it usually is when they come for growing. I mean, maybe now it's not as bad, but I, I've seen some pretty bad uh, videos out there, people getting busted for, like, the smallest amount of stuff. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Kathy Jordan, when uh, she's a lady with, with, with ALS who has been smoking the stuff since 1989, when she only had a few years left to live, and has now just turned 68 years old, one of the oldest living ALS patients in the world, as far as we know. Uh, right after that, they, they had announced the Kathy Jordan bill in Tallahassee, she went back home to uh, Manatee County, and they were raiding her house. People coming in with ski masks were destroying the uh, the home grow area in the back, destroying the, the air conditioning and the light system and everything else, and grabbing the plants. And they 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 find them. I think it was ten thousand dollars per plant. We're talking about seedlings that were about an inch and a half high. And uh, it was it was a nasty, messy situation, but she was able to get the medical necessity uh, defense, and that was with um, Norm Kent, who is another great lawyer here in Florida. Didn't at one point they have her for like a ridiculous amount of years, like a lifetime charge or something? They, 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 the charges could have been really, really bad if they were not if they were not dropped. But the medical necessity thing came in, in place for them. Interestingly enough. It protects her husband, who who does the growing for her, and and who gives her the, her joints two joints every morning, but it doesn't protect her. So if he's not around and she's smoking, she can still be arrested. Wait, what? Seriously, this is this is the way it was written up. He is he is uh, he is um, immune from uh, arrest because he is growing the medicine for his wife. So it is him who is protected uh, by medical necessity. And not her at this point in time. That said, she can't lift her arms anyway, so it's not like she can be smoking her own joints. Her and Irv Rosenfeld are probably the only two people in Florida legally allowed to actually smoke. Actually, there's another woman. But oh, is there? LV Musaka. Musaka. Oh, that's right. Over in, in Miami. She was the very first one. She has a uh, severe glaucoma situation. And she, just like Irv, has that can of joints that gets... Uh, Sent to her. That's every right. Year. She's the yeah, other federal month. patient. Right. The only people with an actual prescription, really. And, Are there any and, other federal patients besides those two? There's another one. There's another gentleman out there who with HIV who uh, who has been a patient for many years. The other ones, some of them have already passed away because it's been it's been going on since the 70s. At one point in time, this whole program of the federal government to be able to give medical uh, to give medical cannabis to people was open up and George H.W. Bush shut the program down because there was a huge flood of people applying for this all at one time. And they just shut it down. And, the, at, and by the time they shut it down, there was only a couple of patients that were in it. Irv was one of the, was one of the first few. So was LV. Wow. It could, it could have been much better. But as it stands, I mean, the stuff that they smoke, it's not the best. <laughs> no, it's 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 not. I, I've seen it. It's pretty bad. It's frozen. I think it's normally not even within a year or two um, from correct. the date, <clears throat> and it comes from 
the drug lab at Mississippi, right? That's right. It's the, uh, the same place that was giving uh, the product to Sue Sisley, who's doing a FDA-approved study right now for PTSD over in Arizona. And she was bemoaning the fact that the stuff that they were sending her was, was of absolutely terrible quality. It was just whole plants ground up. There were stems and, th- and things of that sort, and it was freeze-dried and powdered. And it just it wasn't what it should be. Yeah, it's really bad. Is that the study that she's doing in conjunction with uh, Rick Doblin and MAPS? That's correct, yes. Yeah, he's another Florida guy, isn't he? Uh, I'm not certain where he's from. Yeah, I, I think one time Jody James of Florida Cannabis Coalition told me that he was a Florida guy, but he's doing revolutionary stuff over there for PTSD with cannabis, um, MDMA. They've got an Ibogaine study. They've got an ayahuasca study. Um all the yeah, traditional I'm, plant medicines, and, and a psilocybin one, too, I believe. Yeah, MAPS is doing some fantastic work, and the MDMA uh, study is very interesting because it, it appears to not only treat M- uh, PTSD, but also actually cure it. Yeah, I'm, the results from that have been mind-boggling since I've been following it. I believe they're in phase three trials now. Yeah, so we're, put, we're putting a lot of hope into that because God knows we need a treatment for PTSD. And not just for our soldiers, but for everybody who has it in every situation. As we found out, there are far more people than we actually realized have it. Oh, yeah. Usually everyone who has it has caused it within a handful of people around them. That's just the way it works. It's a really, really bad thing um, if it goes untreated. Yeah, my wife, uh, my wife's mother was involved in the Holocaust. She was, uh, she, she was uh, stationed over in Auschwitz. And she lived with PTSD all of her life. And no one ever called it that. But the fact was, she she never left the camps in her own mind. And it's tough because it it rolls down a couple generations because it it affects people who affect people. Yeah, it it sure does. Um, And, you know, a good friend of mine, Jose Belen, he calls them the silent victims. And that's, you know, normally the family members around that are just trying to manage the um you know the patient will call them i guess in this sense day to day make sure you know that they're cared for and usually that results in trauma absolutely yeah because yeah it can be rough that that's really good though that these things are coming along because let's face it the pharmaceutical options have been failing people especially the veterans and anyone else I won't say anyone else, but a vast majority of people that have been on the psychotropic medications have had really, really bad results. And it's time yeah. for a change. Uh, we we got we got to make a lot of changes. We got to make we may have to make some changes just in the uh, regulating agency here in Florida, the Office of Medical Marijuana Use. The gentleman who's in charge of it, uh, Mr. Christian Bax. I went to a joint administrative procedures committee meeting. Uh, that he did a presentation for this last Thursday. And what I saw was that he had, he had been sent, I believe it was eight letters since August of, October the 3rd. And I think the number of pages of those letters equaled about maybe 40 or 50 pages of mistakes in the rules and regulations that his organization has written. And page after page of, please explain why this is wrong. Please explain why that is wrong. Please advise what you're going to do about this. And not a single one of those letters had been answered. And the oldest one was back on October the 3rd, the latest one being November the 28th. I used to work for the Department of Health. And I I used to write contracts and and RFPs and things of that sort. If I had gotten a letter that had even four or five of those kind of bullet points, my job would have been in jeopardy. So why is this being allowed to happen? Why they – when he – he had so much time to write these rules and regulations because SB8A told him he had 10 different things he had to write rules and regulations for. So far, he's only gotten three of them done. And each and of the, of the three, uh, they were coming out very taking a long time to get them done. They weren't even processed properly. They weren't announced properly. They weren't publicized properly. And mistake after mistake after page after page of mistakes. This is not acceptable. And this is the guy who was supposed to be regulating the agency. We need to have a change in leadership. This is the reason why we don't have enough applications for medical marijuana treatment centers being put out so we could have more people 
in the market right now. And the problem with that is that we are constantly getting more and more patients into the registry. Right now, there is approximately 64,000 people in the registry. Now, taking into account that they, the state of Oregon, who's had medical marijuana now for 20 years, only has 60,000 patients. We've had this program only for 10 months. We've already got 63,000 patients. But we've only issued 31,000 medical marijuana cards. And we don't have, we, we're not going to have enough people making the medicine itself to cover the people in the, in the registry. The registry is growing so fast that we are going to have severe shortages. We're going to go to the various uh, dispensaries around the state. And they're going to say, we don't have enough for you. We can't grow enough for you. We don't have enough processed for you. And that's going to be, that's going to be a major problem. Well, not only that, but they won't even approve the damn products on time that the dispensaries want to put out. That's correct. That is that's, that's another fault of the Office of Medical Marijuana Use. Certera has been requesting a uh, approval for their edible since October the 3rd, and they have still not gotten a response yet. Cureleaf had asked for a, a uh, approval for their dry flower uh, product and when they and three three months had gone by and they still had not gotten their approval yet, they went ahead and put it out, only to be told to take the product off the shelves and, do, and cease and desist immediately as soon as they finished putting it out. And the same thing also happened to Truly back last uh, March when they put out their very first Entourage product. They asked for approval. They waited and waited and waited, never got a response back. They put the product out, and they were told to go ahead and yank it off the shelves. And they still have a... Um an application or whatever you would call it for the Entourage 2 product. That's correct. They, they, they fixed all the problems that they were told were in, inherent in the very first product in regards to how easily it was to open up the canister and wh whether it fit properly in a volcano va uh, vaporizer, whether a volcano vaporizer was actually approved or not. They got all those things fixed. And they, uh, they applied for approval back on July the 15th. And when October the 15th rolled around, which is three months, and they had not gotten a response back, they actually had to file a lawsuit, a petition for a declaratory statement saying, do your job and approve these products so we can start selling these to the, product, to the people. And then we have a company trying to stop that. Like the, it just seems a little ridiculous what's going on right now just to get some flour in a container. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Afria is a company out of Canada that bought Chestnut Hill Tree Farms. And they actually filed an intervening statement uh, trying to stop the, uh, the approval of, of True Leaves product, which doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to stop unless you're trying to, to prevent uh, competition? I mean, from reading that um, motion to intervene, to me it was pretty clear that it was going to affect their sales and their opinion, and they that, didn't that, want it out. Yeah, that's a very good, good possibility. AFRI is a company out of Canada. They're coming in to try to take over the Florida market, and they're trying to do it in a way which is unsatisfactory to the people of Florida. And hopefully that will get fixed very, very soon. We need to start making certain that the um, medical marijuana treatment centers start playing fair uh, when it comes to this, this free market thing. The free market will, will, will get rid of the bad players, and the good players will, will rise. But dirty tricks like trying to, like when we have dispensaries, actually trying to get other dispensaries banned. Doesn't make any sense at all. And that's happening too. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold. 
old, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Yeah, I I don't understand it as a business tactic myself. Um, Instead of putting your nose to the grindstone and trying to execute, or at the very least, just follow the leader and do what they're doing, you're trying to like slow people down. So by default, you're devoting resources to trying to slow someone else down instead of, you know, execute on your own business plan. Yeah, well, we we, we move forward. I mean, the, uh, I have actually talked to mayors who, were, who said that they had talked to dispensaries who told them to go ahead and put, put in dispensary bans in the area just so that the people they were talking to would have less competition. And that's just wrong. That's a bad business plan. And that kind of thing will, will, will come out eventually and people will decide who to go to and who not to go to. Yeah, and ultimately it's detrimental to the patients, all of this stuff. Any type Absolutely. of obstructionism is, is detrimental to the patients. And as you know and I know, and all the people that we talk to on a regular basis, there's a lot of people suffering, people that need medication, people dying of cancer, people dying. Um, and a lot of it, you know, could be traced back to the fact that this program is still so stifled yeah we, we need to get we need to have a free market a free and open market is what we'll do what, what, what needs to be done as far as getting the best product at the best price and the best quantity because the hard people who work hard to do well for the patient and that's what it's all about it's all about the patients that that's how it's all going to work out what in, in the end make certain you're doing things for the patient not for the profit and you everything will, everybody will be profiting at the end Oh, yeah, there's plenty of money to be made in the Florida medical cannabis industry. Um, the only way we may get a competitive market, though, is with something like Regulate Florida getting put on the ballot and passing. I, I just don't see the legislature opening things up. Do you? Yeah, regulate, uh, no, and, and Regulate Florida is, is a good option. It, <clears throat> it'll, it lets you regulate cannabis just like regulating alcohol, and that's always worked well for alcohol. And people have to start realizing that um, we're, we're talking about things which aren't too dissimilar, although that alcohol is actually worse for you in, in many, many ways. But getting rid of, those, those, of some regulations will, will help out in a lot of different ways, including possibly getting rid of the registry. If, if you don't have a registry, then there's no list of people that could possibly go after if they wanted to, because registries can be abused. Of so course I, they can. I, so um, I, I look to people uh, uh, helping out with Regulate Florida, but they need petitions signed, and they need them uh, signed fast. So if you know anybody who, who, who is uh, doing reg- Regulate Florida petitions, sign them. Send them to people who want to get them done and get those sign- people signed because they need to have petitions signed and sent to Tallahassee to get it on the ballot, just like Amendment 2. Absolutely, and you can download the petition at regulateflorida.com forward slash petition. And then you just print it out, sign it, date it, and send it back to Sensible Florida. The address is on the back. Um, <clears throat> you know, shit, you know what, Gary? I just completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but that's good. I record it. I'll edit it out. Or I may leave yeah. it. We need a blo- I need a bloopers reel. That happens a lot. Um, <clears throat> there's one thing that um, could also help open the market up, and that is the uh, lawsuit with Bill's Nursery and Michael Bowen. Can you explain to the listeners what that lawsuit is about and who Michael Bowen is? Yeah. Uh, Michael's a gentleman who I met uh, at a very unusual circumstance. I was actually testifying in front of the Senate uh, Health Policy Committee and talking about the importance of uh, public use, where people in an emergency situation should be allowed to use it to, uh, to stop an epileptic seizure or to stop a severe anxiety attack with PTSD, things of that sort. And as I was getting ready to speak, someone behind me had a, uh, a grand mal epileptic seizure. And that stopped the whole proceedings. And of course, it put a big dent in my presentation. Oh, well. But uh, that, was, that was Michael. And he was actually next to speak, to speak, as a matter of fact. Him and his wife, Stephanie, were supposed to be speaking right after me and talking about pretty much the same thing, about how, how important it was 
for people to have access to this medicine in emergency situations. And he is pushing hard now as well for both the federal level and the state level to make certain that we have access to this medicine. And he has joined forces with Bill's Nursery, who is a, a organization in South Florida who is also desperately waiting to put an application in so they can, they can join the market as well and are tired of the uh, problems in Tallahassee with it stop, them stopping the process. And the whole point is that this is a lawsuit to force Tallahassee to, to move forward and get these things done like they're supposed to get done. Because that way, again, you have a free and open market and more access, and that is so important to the health and welfare of the state of Florida. Absolutely. Um, competition, like you said, it will – you know, create like a price floor. You know, yep. there will be much more or much better prices. The quality should go up. The, uh, the variety will definitely increase. And as we know, strains are the spice of life, and, and they do matter. And everyone has a different one, and no one company can supply them all, nor a handful. Um, just one trip up and down the west coast of this country will let you know that's true i mean dispensaries may have 1200 products in them different products in them uh tons of different brands uh, that, you know that brings up another point and on the podcast i did with kim rivers she said that true leaves number one priority was to work on the no contracting clause that in itself would free up the market for a lot of different um ancillary businesses or even smaller mom and pop businesses to be able to work with them and the other MMTCs. What do you think about the fact that they put that exclusion in the Senate bill? That, again, was a situation where you had special interests who were getting involved in the process, in particular the nursery business at that one time, that created this vertical integration that made it so you had to be doing everything from a seed to sale and you had to be a nursery to begin with. And it was pretty much a way of blocking out the competition. And as we, as you mentioned before, competition is, is, is healthy for the business. And contracting will help out in a number of different ways. Number one, if, you, if any uh, dispensary has a, a shortage of, if, if it had a bad grow and they had to get rid of it, then the contracting out would, would be able to maintain the supply. Also, contracting helps in, in that, as Senator Brandis had said, if you're good at growing, you should do growing. If you are good at processing, you should do processing. Well, contracting allows you to get in touch with people who may be better at, better than you at any of those particular steps in the process so that people will have access to a better product at the end, have better edibles, have better processing, that kind of situation. Contracting is the key to a, more, a greater variety of product and a, and a higher quality of product. It also helps out the MMTCs because, like I was, you know, talking about with Kim, they're already a packaging company, a producer, a processor, a logistics company, a delivery company, a security company. Um, it would be great if they could bring in outside resources, especially from some of the companies that have been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years out on the West Coast. I, I could only think that that knowledge would be able to benefit them. I can't think of any food company or a pharmaceutical company that has to do absolutely everything from base product to, to delivery. They always have people who work with them to, to, make, to help make that happen. And if, you, if you're a pineapple grower, you're not the one who automatically puts it in cans and puts it on shelves. Yeah, people who, who work on those things with you. Yeah, I mean, Apple doesn't do everything itself. It has multiple factories that make the parts. Um, even their competitor makes some of the chips. That's correct. And, that, that, and that's the key to having better products. A more, a greater diversity in, in thought and mind and product. Yeah, and it's one of those situations where uh, rising tide lifts all boats. It's, it's better for innovation and ultimately the patient. Because anything that improves the market in any way or the program is better for the patient. Anything that slows it down is, in my opinion, evil. Well, contracting is one of those things we're working on. We also have some other bills that we're, we're, we're trying to get on board right now, including an employee protection thing, 
or you can't be a, a let go from your job or get blocked from a job just for having a medical cannabis card, which is the way it is right now. A patient protection thing. So if you're in a, if you're in a nursing home and the nursing home wants to stop you from having your medicine, they can't stop you. And uh, also decriminalization bills. Because you have kids out there who make mistakes who uh, shouldn't be thrown in jail. Well, a civil citation would help them. It, it would. And I would like to see that done statewide. There's another bill that I would like to see get introduced because I know a lot of people face this situation. I do myself. Um, and that's trying to find housing when you have a cannabis charge on your record. And I've been a patient now in a, one state or another for about a decade. I even got arrested while I was a patient. But when they do my background check for housing, they always say, yeah, you have a marijuana charge. And I'm like, um, and? and? And I get denied. Yeah, decriminalization will help that too. If you get rid of that, you have your record you have to respond to. Because this is not a violent crime. This is not a reason you should be blocked for housing or anything else. No, it's ridiculous. I had a mason jar of coconut oil. I got charged with trafficking. <laughs> yeah. V- vicious coconut oil. Yeah. How much you could do with that? I had just, I had just got done hiking the Grand Canyon. I walked way too far down into the canyon and about died getting back out and then got arrested trying to get back home. But that's what happens sometimes. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to discuss? Um, anything going forward, um, how people maybe can get involved, get in touch with you? Uh, well, I, I'm always on Facebook. You can contact me at, at, by, by going to Gary J. Stein uh, on Facebook or my book uh, site, The Great Green Hope. Feel free to contact me, ask me any questions. And if I, I, can, I can move you along to somebody else who might know something more than I do or get you in contact with your representative, I'd be more than happy to do so. And can you provide me, um, maybe shoot me a message with the links? I know there's like a link where you can find your senator and stuff. I, I would like the um, listeners to be able to click on that. I'll be glad to go ahead and send it straight to you. Sweet. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, Gary. I appreciate you speaking with me. It was a pleasure as always. And um, I may see you Saturday with or without an ugly sweater if you're going to be at the party. <laughs> okay. And in that case, happy holidays. And uh, let's get this thing done. Absolutely. We're going to do it together. Thank you. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Marijuana Solution. A well The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.